Today is the third Sunday of Advent. And for us, Advent isn't a season or isn't a, a season that we see in the Bible. It's a theme that we see throughout all of Scripture. Advent, the word Advent means arrival. Now, the Old Testament is full of waiting on the Lord's arrival, waiting on the Lord to deliver them, right? Waiting for the Messiah to come. And then the New Testament Gospels reveal and celebrate the promised coming of Jesus. And then in the the latter part of the New Testament, the apostolic letters of the early church, they focus on the anticipation for the return of Christ, when Jesus will return to right every wrong, a day for which every Christian longs. And Advent is this theme that we see throughout Scripture that we celebrate once a year for four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And so for us, As Christians today, it's a time for us to sit with God's promises in his word and to lean into his promises, what they mean for us today in the present. And that in this, Advent not only gives us hope for the future, but a clear vision for our lives today. And this month, we've been looking at Old Testament passages, four passages in total this month that anticipate the work of Jesus. And each passage helps us understand how to follow Jesus today in the here and now as we celebrate his first coming and we anticipate his second coming. And so far, we've looked at the Abrahamic covenant, we've looked at the Davidic covenant, both of which promising that God will provide a savior king. Today, we're gonna look at a description of what life with and life under the rule of the Savior King looks like. What does it mean, what does it look like to live under the rule of King Jesus? What does it mean to come under his care? And so today we're looking at Psalm 23. Now Psalm 23 is not typically associated with Christmas or or Advent for that matter, but it is totally connected In it, in Psalm 23, David explains and anticipates what it is like to be led by the shepherd king. The psalm teaches us where we can find comfort in King Jesus even today. So the title of the sermon today is, He Came to Comfort Us. Let's read Psalm 23. I'll be reading today from the uh, NIV, the New International Version. Psalm 23, starting in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all of the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Church, this is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you have given us this this living and active word. Help us this morning. Holy Spirit, teach us. Lead us into the truth. Lead us into what you have for us this morning, corporately, collectively, and also individually, God. Thank you that you are a shepherd, that you do lead us. And this morning, God, we are desperate for your leadership. We pray, God, that 
The word comes today not in eloquence, but in power of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as I've been reading Psalm 23 um, over and over, it got me thinking about films that I like to watch over and over. Now, I typically don't like to watch movies over and over, but there are a few. There are a few pictures that I, I will watch or even do enjoy watching over and over over time. Um, why do we love certain films? Why, why do we want to watch something over and over? And some people, it's, they're, they're like, you know, are film score people, right? The, the soundtrack does it for them. Some people are like photography people, or maybe it's a genre thing. I just want to feel good, so I'm going to watch a comedy. My favorite films are all experiences. I realize I love to watch movies that bring me into the experience. And, and they're not all happy experiences. Like I love, like Schindler's List is one of those movies for me. Or the Shawshank Redemption, if you've ever seen that movie. Um, Life is Beautiful is another film like that. Uh, the first 10 minutes of the Pixar film Up, right? That, that movie takes a hard left after 10 minutes. But the first <laughs> 10 minutes, you will cry. It's amazing. All those films take me places. I feel present in the story. I feel invested in the plot. And I realize there are places in Scripture that are very similar, right? They're so moving, so powerful, and so deep that to recite them is to experience them. Like Psalm 23 does not grow old as I read it repeatedly. It draws me in. And for many, Psalm 23 is a similar place. One commentary This theologian said this, he goes, simply reading Psalm 23 is a green pasture for me. The psalm itself is still water. Reading the psalm restores my soul. And I think one of the reasons for that is the voice that David writes in. It's very personal. He's not writing a letter saying, we have this shepherd and, and we all, you all. It's not that kind of language. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It's a personal first person testimony. And then when he talks about God, he's not explaining God. He's talking to God. He says, you are with me, he says. This intimate testimony Psalm 23 is David's personal testimony of his personal experience with God. And in this personal, intimate testimony today, we can find hope in knowing God's comfort. So we read this passage at funerals, and we read this passage at weddings. It's precious to us. It's like a a constant friend because it covers all of life. It addresses the good times and the bad times. It addresses times of plenty and times of want. With simplicity, Psalm 23 speaks of green pastures and still waters and being comforted. And then in the next breath, he talks about dark valleys and enemies, hardships that we all face. He covers it all, the whole experience. And I think what helps comfort David And what helps comfort us today when we read Psalm 23 is his confidence in the Lord as he writes, David really believes that the Lord is his shepherd. And so as we sit with these words, we see that David isn't just writing some poetic exaggeration. He has experienced God in these ways. He has heard God's voice and followed his lead and felt his care. Beneath the beauty of his words are solid convictions formed in the fires of crisis. Because it's in the fits and the fires of David's life that brought about such deep appreciation for the Lord's comfort and care in his life. 
And it is from this ancient testimony of a shepherd boy who became king where we can find today the Lord's comfort and care even in the midst of the fits and fires in our own life. David's personal testimony of the Lord's care, the fact that the Lord comforts his sheep might be what your heart is longing for this morning. So let's let David's testimony encourage our souls and draw us near to our good shepherd as we examine Psalm 23. Let's look at the goodness of the shepherd. Now, it's, it's kind of an on-the-nose passage, right? It's, it's easy to, to see these themes, but the first way that we can find comfort when we read Psalm 23 is the fact that the shepherd provides. It's just straight up the first three verses. Let's look at verse two and three. The good shepherd provides. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his namesake. See, it could be difficult for us. When we read these, these, this passage, I found it, at least for myself, difficult to grasp what David is saying when he talks about green pastures. Because when I hear that term green pasture, I automatically think of level ground with thick, waist-deep alfalfa, right? Like God just leads these sheep into this farmland like Kansas. It's like heaven is like, like when, when God is our shepherd, we all move to Nebraska. And we just have these verdant flat fields, these endless food. What sheep wouldn't want to graze there? But see, when we picture this, we're actually picturing a place that never existed back in David's day, right? First of all, Israel is a desert. It, it hardly rains there. In present Israel, it's, obviously it's the same. There's very little verdant farmland in Israel. That land is very valuable. Any flat, fertile land is very precious in all of the Middle East. And they do not graze sheep on that land. They grow food on that land. All land that can sustain crop is a no-grazing zone, right? The sheep, that the shepherds and the sheep were relegated to outside of that land. It was very rarely flat. It was very often rocky. And it was rare, if ever, that you'd see a flock of livestock down in the low country, down in the, in the flat area. Farmers kept the shepherds out. Sheep are not welcome in farmed land. In fact, the Hebrew word that's used here for Green Valley is grass places, right? He, he leads us to where grass grows. Well, let's take a look at an ancient grazing field in Israel. This is what an ancient grazing field looks like. This is the world of a shepherd. This is the world of sheep. Look at this hillside. These are grazing trails that were cut by sheep, uh, probably dating all the way back to Abraham's sheep grazing on these hills. Ancient, ancient rows where the, the sheep would cruise across those, those hills that the shepherd would lead them up onto the hillside and then lead them across the hillside. And if you note, the, the, um, the paths are spaced. Now, the sheep are the ones that, that walk along those paths and have created those paths over millennia. And that's all determined by the size of a sheep. So they can graze right up to the middle point without creating any kind of conflict, without stepping on each other's, you know, hooves, I guess, because they're sheep. And, and then the shepherd would just keep them moving across the hillside. This is what naturally determines the spacing of the trails. And so you could be asking yourself, well, how does grass even grow here? I mean, look at that. It's like totally a desert. And it's true, very little rain falls. 
But what happens is that it's very humid and the moist air blows off the Mediterranean and and it condenses on the rocks. And then under rocks and rocky places, especially under larger rocks, but even small, there's tufts of grass. And so as the shepherd would lead them up onto the hill, get them to spread out along the, hill, the hillside. They do it in modern, modern day Israel as well. And then lead them across the hillside at a pace where you could take a bite of grass and then you move along and you take a bite of grass and you move along. Little tufts of grass sprinkle the hillside. So the shepherd looks for these grassy hills, leads them up onto ancient trails to graze, one mouthful at a time. The sheep need the shepherd to direct them onto the hillsides, across the hillsides. See, the shepherd doesn't lead the sheep into belly-deep farm crop where they grow fat and lazy and never have to leave their comfort bubble. That's not the promise of Psalm 23. And so I think from our Western minds, we need to be careful not to think of these green pastures as waist-deep alfalfa fields. Like God's going to just hook me up one day and I will prosper in every area of my life and I don't have to worry about anything. And until that day comes, I'm in the dark valley. That's not what David's saying here. Because some of us might be waiting for God to do miraculous things like dump us into the lap of luxury, the lap of comfort, so we don't have to work hard or struggle or experience hardship. But that is simply never what is promised in Scripture. It sounds funny, but I, I do. That, that's what my mind always pictured growing up. That's what our minds picture when we think of a, of a of green field. That God wants to bless us, set us up one time for the rest of our lives, and we'll be financially prosperous, and our kids will only make good choices, and our spouse will only and always adore us, and the government will always do what we think it should, right? That we will have this perfect life. That's the green pasture. Guys, nobody's life with God has ever been like that. David's certainly was not like that. Green pastures are not every comfort we need for the rest of our life. Green pastures is a picture of God's daily provision for our life. God leads us from hillside to hillside where we are sustained day by day. We find comfort in the fact that we have what we need today because we are with a shepherd a shepherd who leads us up onto hills with food, a shepherd that leads us across the hillside where the food is at a pace that's right for us. And we find comfort that God will provide, not only for today, we find comfort that we can lean into our shepherd tomorrow as well. One rabbi back in ancient times was writing about this passage, this this ancient understanding of a green pasture. And he provided, you know, God providing for our daily needs. And he said this, Very insightful. He goes, worry is dealing with tomorrow's problem on today's pasture. See, in the desert, a sheep has to learn to trust that their shepherd is good and will get them what they need right now. Now, we don't like to hear that in our Western mind. Well, what about tomorrow? David would say, well, you have to trust the shepherd for tomorrow. What about next week? You, you need to trust the shepherd for next week. The shepherd will provide. What about next year? What about when my kids are adults? Listen, the shepherd will provide for our kids the way the shepherd provides for us. The Lord is my shepherd. This is David's testimony. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing, he says. It's a beautiful testimony for us today, isn't it? It's a powerful testimony for us that we would lean into our shepherd this Advent season, 
The good shepherd provides for his sheep. The second thing we see in this passage is that the good shepherd is present. The good shepherd provides and he is present. Look at verse 4. It says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. And then he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. See, reading these two verses, it's remarkable how David's language shifts from telling others about Jesus, right? The first two, he's saying, the Lord, it's like he's talking to us. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. It's like he's directly communicating, bearing witness to what God has done. And then here we are in these two verses, and he goes from telling us about what God has done to talking to God. God directly. He starts in verse one, 1 and 2 with a language that's different from what in 3 and 4. His presence is so real to David in the dark valley that he turns away from his audience, it feels like, and he just starts talking directly to God. And it's interesting to see that it's in verse 4 where this happens because verse 4 describes a crisis point in his life, this dark valley, the darkest valley. It's also translated, growing up, I read it as the valley of the shadow of death, which I prefer because it's just dramatic and gloomy, right? I'm not sure exactly what David is describing here, but we know it's not a fun place. We know it's not a fun time. David's not talking about just one bad day of indigestion in a belly-deep alfalfa field. That's not the context for the dark valley. He's talking about a dark season, David's talking about a hard season, a seemingly impossible circumstance in life. And was it like guilt over some of the horrible things he'd done in his life? Was it uh, the death of his son? Was that the, the dark season? Was it uh, the insane family drama he had? We don't know exactly what he's talking about, but we, what we can see is that in life's hard times, something deep happened between him and God. And many of us, I think, have noticed this in our own lives, too. We're more prone to talk about God when we're in the green pastures, and we're more prone to talk to God when we're in the dark valley. I know it's that way in my own life. In the dark, I'm like a child hugging my father's leg. And so here, David, he changes from comments about God to communion with God, because during his time in this death valley, he needed to be close to his shepherd. He knew he couldn't take his eyes off him. It's in the wilderness valley experience where his heart is ushered toward intimacy with God. It's in the hard place. And this is how God breaks through hard-heartedness. This is how God breaks through hard-headedness. This is how God breaks our pride. God breaks through those things in us in the dark valley. It has always been this way. We see it throughout Scripture. Even in times ancient to David with Moses, look at Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 9. You see, he, he says again, the Lord's portion is his people, reminding us that, that that's, that's who God had reserved for himself. But then look at verse 10. It says, in a desert land he found them. That, that's where they were willing to be found by God. In a desert land, in a barren and a howling waste. I don't know where that is. That sounds horrible, Right? He shielded him. He cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye. See, it's in the hard seasons where we turn to God, where God finds his people, collects his sheep. 
There's something about life's desert experiences, as difficult as they are, as devastating as they are. The testimony of God's people throughout history is that we find God in the dark valleys. That's our tendency. Sometimes that's what's required. And so we need to recognize that God allows time in the dark valley. God allows time in the dark valley. In the first three verses of this passage, right, David paints this picture that's like, I remember it from my Sunday school flannel board that my teacher used, you know? All all these wonderful imagery about everything makes sense. A shepherd leading his flock to green grass and calm waters. And then in verse 4, it's like the record stops. It doesn't seem to fit. There's this dark valley, and it conjures thoughts of danger. Like, oh, wait, the sheep are in danger? Are the sheep going to, like, fall? Are they going to get hurt? Is the shepherd putting the sheep's life in jeopardy? But then, of course, David, it's not about the sheep. It's about the shepherd. Of course not. The shepherd is present. The shepherd is alert. The shepherd is attentive. And so why, we have to ask, why would a sheep be led through such a place? Is it because he strayed off in sin on his own? Is this a sin thing? The dark valley is like a bad decision that we make? No, that's not the point here. The shepherd is pictured going with the sheep, not snatching him out of the dark place. He's experiencing the protection of God while in the dark place, being led through a dark place. It seems the reason that sheep go through the valley is because the shepherd is leading them there and leading them through. And our passage seems to confirm that. The path through the valley, in fact, seems to be one of these right paths that he's talking about. Look at verse 3. It says, he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you're with me. See, why would a good shepherd who would lay his life down for his sheep lead a little lamb into a valley filled with danger and death threats? Well, there's only one possible answer. He's leading him through a valley to get to a better place. There's a destination, there's a reason for it. There's a man uh, named Philip Keller. Uh, He was a shepherd in Australia, and he wrote a book. It became very famous in the 70s and 80s. It's called A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. And Keller made this observation about life's barren valleys. It's very insightful, written by a shepherd about Psalm 23. He says, The shepherd knows from past experience that predators, coyotes, bears, wolves, cougars, they could take cover in these broken cliffs, and from their vantage point, they could prey on the flock. The shepherd knows these valleys can be subject to sudden storms and flash floods that send walls of water rampaging down the slopes. There could be rock slides, mud, or a dozen other natural disasters that could destroy or injure the sheep. But in spite of such hazards, he also knows that this is still the best way to take his flock to the high country. And so he spares himself no pains or trouble or time to keep an eye out for any danger that might develop. See, Keller points out what I think we all know. We will, it is inevitable, we will walk through some unfamiliar, dark places in life. When your family faces cancer or a major health crisis, we find ourselves in a valley. When your marriage is on the rocks or or when a close relationship starts to unwind, we find ourselves in a valley. When money is tight and you're wondering how you're going to make ends meet, we're, we're in a dark place, we're in a dark valley. See, it's in these valleys when we must remember that our shepherd has allowed even this hard time. And he will lead us through 
on one of his paths of righteousness. He is leading you through this valley for reasons that probably aren't apparent when we're in the valley. But we can know and we can trust that he's taking us to the high country. He's taking us through the valley where the grass grows on the other side, up in the high country. Every valley is a pathway to a green hillside, Philip Keller says. We see this promise in Psalm 84, 11. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. Man, that is a good passage to hold on to when we're in a dark valley, isn't it? Paul makes a similar promise in uh, Romans chapter 8, 28, familiar passage. He says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. See, David talking about this dark valley experience, it's not a word of warning for us. David's not, David's not trying to warn us. This is a word of comfort for us. It's a word of comfort because the shepherd is with us. We're going to walk through dark places, and David's saying, check it out. The shepherd is with me, and I don't have anything to fear, even in the dark valley. The valley's not a good place, but the shepherd is very good. And David tells us, even in the valley of the shadow of death, he didn't dread the distress that he would face. He didn't cringe in the face of crisis. So how do we fight this fear? When we, when we don't know what's happening next, when our imagination starts to work overtime, what are we supposed to do? Well, look at Psalm 23. How does David do it? He leans into his good shepherd. David is confident because the good shepherd provides. David is, shepherd, is, is confident because the good shepherd is present. And finally, the third thing we see is that David is confident because the good shepherd preserves or, excuse me, perseveres. The good shepherd perseveres. He stays with his sheep. The end of verse 4, it says, Your rod and your staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, David is speaking of God's nearness, his persevering presence throughout every season of David's life. When we're in the grassy green field, it's because the shepherd led us there, and he's, he's on the grassy green bank leading us across. He is there with us in those good times. In the dark valley, the shepherd is with us. We feel predators and enemies lying in wait for us. When we're tempted to give into fear, we're tempted to give into despair, into despair, we're tempted to even give up. Listen, our shepherd has something he wants you to hear today. He says, I will be with you. David leaned into that promise. And so when we're in those dark places where it seems like the world is against us, where it seems like everything is against us, it seems like our finances are upside down or our job is upside down or our family is upside down or our friendships are all messed up. We don't turn to alcohol. We don't turn to Netflix. We don't turn to anger. We don't turn to other distractions and internet distractions, whatever, all the different things that we have a tendency to, to turn to, these things that we think might help us. Those things do not help us through a dark valley. What good does it do to get hammered when we're in a dark valley in the dark? When we're in a dark valley, we need a shepherd. 
And isn't it wonderful to hear today that he is with us? In the dark valley, we lean into our shepherd. We don't lean into distractions. We don't lean into self-medication. We don't lean into our emotions. We lean into Jesus. Beautiful promise in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. It says, God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? In his book, Have Faith Without Fear, author uh, Ken Wilson recalls his childhood fear of the dark, common fear among kids, right? A lot of kids are afraid of the dark. He lived in a three-story house in, uh, I think it was in Pittsburgh somewhere. It was real narrow, but three stories, and he's the youngest kid, so he had to go to bed first on his own, walk up these dark stairs, and it was dark up on the third floor where his bedroom was, and he was, it was like this thing. He was totally afraid to go up there. But his dad would go up there with him, and it was awesome. He records this little, little nugget of wisdom his dad dropped on him one time. It says, once I remember my father said, they just walked up the dark stairs, sitting on his bed, tucking him in. He goes, once I remember my father said, would you rather I leave the light on and go downstairs or turn the light off and stay with you for a while? He says, I chose presence with darkness over absence with light. Now, isn't that what we really want in our dark valleys, right? The assurance that someone is there. Christian, you are not alone. There is no valley, no matter how dark, that you will ever go through in your life alone. We have a good shepherd who will not leave you. And David doesn't just talk about God's presence. As, as a part of God's presence here, he, he's talking about this perseverance. Like we, there's the power of God, the power of the shepherd that comes along with his presence. God per- perseveres with us and he perseveres for us. See, the presence of the shepherd means that the tools of the shepherd and the power of the shepherd and the insight of the shepherd are all with us. He talks about the rod and the staff, right? The rod would have been basically like a hardwood club. You know, when that rod starts swinging, man, the the club starts swinging, the the predators bail. They don't want to get smacked by that thing. And the staff, he's pulling sheep together and nudging them onto the right trails. The tools and the power and the insight of the shepherd is with us when we're with the shepherd. This beautiful promise about the shepherd in 1 John 4.4. It says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That is a picture of a powerful shepherd that perseveres with his sheep. So confident is David of the shepherd that one verse he's talking about the valley of death. And then in the next breath, he's writing about a feast and an anointing and an overflowing cup. David was stoked on the provision and the presence and the perseverance of his good shepherd. And we see it in his confidence. He believed that valley times were ultimately for his good. Those low places were ultimately for his good. Not because those places are good, but because God is good and God was with him. And so David is confident, not only in his present circumstances, but he's confident of the future as well because his shepherd will see him all the way through. David learned things about God in the deep ravines of life that cannot be learned in other ways. He learned to stick 
close to God, to lean into the presence of the shepherd. He learned to trust God to provide, to trust God to protect, to trust that God will persevere. Those are issues that a lot of us have. I don't want to trust anyone to protect my family. I want to protect my family. I don't want to trust that anyone's going to persevere. People have only ever let me down. It's hard to learn those lessons, but it was in the valley where David learned to lean into his shepherd, trusting that God will lead him through. And we see in our final verse this amazing picture of a future blessing where he says, surely goodness, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. There's that perseverance. All the days of my life. And here's the future promise. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, this is the comfort that we have in Jesus. It's protection for the now. It's, it's leadership and guidance in the hard times. It's protection in the dark seasons. It's the promises and hope of the future. This is the joy and the hope and the love that we, ha- that we have that we get to lean into as we lean into the promises of God that are real to us through Jesus. Jesus is our good shepherd. This, this idea of a good shepherd, it's not some abstract idea. The good shepherd is Jesus. This is Advent. Jesus has come to comfort us. That gives us confidence for this life and confidence in the, for the future, a hope for the future. And so today, some of us find ourselves in a dark valley. Some of you today might, might be very uncertain of the future. And when all the color drains out of life, or when our soul is downcast, I want to encourage you, look up. Fix your eyes On Jesus, look to your good shepherd. Jesus knows the way through the valley. There is a right path. There is a righteous path in the valley that you're in. I don't know what valley you're in right now, and honestly, it doesn't matter. I know, I'm confident that there is a right path through whatever you are going through. But you need to lean into your shepherd to find it. You need to lean into your shepherd to stay on it. Jesus is our shepherd. He is the one who cares for his flock and tends to his flock. And you can't teach this passage. We can't even fully understand this passage without remembering that in order for the shepherd to gather his lost sheep, in order for Jesus to do this incredible, beautiful work of bringing comfort to the flock, Jesus himself first, the shepherd, had to humble himself and become a sheep. The shepherd was willing to become a sheep and not just a sheep. The Bible tells us in Isaiah, he became a, a sacrificial lamb, laying his life down for us. Jesus became a sacrifice. Jesus paid a price that we couldn't afford. Jesus gave up his life so that our sins could be forgiven. We can trust Jesus when we are in the dark valley because he has been through it. Jesus went through the valley alone and he went through the valley for you. He went through the valley for me. He lay his perfect life down so that we could be forgiven for our sin and made right with God. That is the love, the perfect love of our shepherd. Jesus lay his life down in the valley so that you don't have to. Jesus faced our worst fears in the valley and even dying in the valley so that you don't have to. Fear isn't something that you have to deal with in the valley. 
because Jesus has dealt with it. You can walk as David walked, with confidence, even in dark times. Today, you can know the comfort of the good shepherd. Today, you can know the love and the forgiveness of a good God. You can know the true joy and peace and hope of Christmas. Today, you can know Jesus. As we worship this morning, I want to charge you to turn to your shepherd, to lean into the good shepherd. As David recites, it's almost like a recital for him, Psalm 23, reciting, rehearsing over again, just meditating on the benefits of the shepherd, building his confidence that the Lord is with me. This is the provision of the Lord. This is the presence of God in my life. This is the persistence of God for me in life. As we go into worship this morning, I want to challenge you to meditate on the provision of God in your life, on the presence of God in your life. Today, you can turn to your good shepherd. He will provide for you today. He is present with you today, and he will persevere with you. Find comfort in the good shepherd. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage, and I thank you so much, God, that you are with us, that you never leave us, you never forsake us, you don't abandon us. There's no lost causes in this room. Thank you, Lord, that you are faithful, you are persistent. Though some of us might feel like we've been in a dark valley for a long time, Pray, God, that you would replace our, our dreams of waist-deep alfalfa fields. You would replace that just with the joy of your presence. Thank you, God, that you are near today. We pray, Lord, that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, convict us, move us in the places in our heart where we know we're standing against a work that you're wanting to do in our life, the places in our heart or maybe in our mind, we're, we're being convicted right now, we're standing against the work that you want to do. Pray today, Lord, that we would, we would be like David, we would trust our shepherd, that we would be willing to go where the shepherd is leading us, stepping onto one of those paths. We trust you for that today, God. Thank you that you are near to us, leading us, comforting us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, the communion elements are up front. It's a way for us to, to actively participate, to, to tangibly experience a representation of that sacrifice that Jesus made when he lay his life down for us. And I want to encourage you to come and, and partake. Take the elements of communion. Allow yourself to meditate on the broken body of Jesus, the spilled blood of Jesus, to receive, once again, to receive that gift, that gift of salvation that he has given to you. We'll have people up here to pray. If you need someone to help lead you into the presence of the Good Shepherd, come and get prayer. The carpets are up here for you to kneel, to be in a posture 
That's different. Just, just getting out of a regular Sunday morning routine is good for us. If, if the Lord is convicted, you want to encourage you, maybe you just need to come and get on your knees or even sitting where you are, just present yourself to the Lord. Present yourself to your good shepherd. He is right here with you this morning and he wants to lead you through the valley. As we worship this morning, I encourage you, turn to Jesus. Find comfort in the presence of your shepherd.